This is Exit Vila, powered by BackSportsPage.com. Welcome back to the Exit Vila podcast. I'm your host, Adam Cohen, and I'm here tonight with Ryan Mork and Henry Winkelhake. Tonight, we are discussing some very, very exciting and prevalent news. Finally, we have an actual, somewhat concrete baseball proposal for the 2020 season, and it is being tweeted everywhere right now. The owners and MLB Player Association are having a giant, giant clash right now. We haven't seen this last episode already about the coronavirus in 1994. Players strike you should, because Henry, you and me were spot on last time around. Yeah, we called it, man. We said July 4th, and uh, now that seems to be the target date that has emerged from this. So good on us. Exactly. And it, it, doesn't it seem kind of scary how the owners and the player Association are going at it right now, middle of a pandemic, and it's just all about money? Just what was your original take on seeing this proposal at the beginning? Well, when I was first reading it over, I didn't think that it would be so controversial. I got to the line that everybody's up in arms about the 50-50 revenue split. And I'm like, oh, that that sounds pretty fair, pretty even, right? Uh, But then getting diving into the details of that, that does seem to be a huge, huge money issue. And I know we'll touch on that. So uh, not encouraging how far apart the sides seem to be on that issue, but I guess still kind of encouraging that at least something's on the table, right? Definitely. Definitely good that something's on the table, that they're having discussions, that there's a timetable of about two and a half weeks. Ryan, what was your original take on this? Um, we talked about it before, Adam. I mean, it's hard to side with owners because they are the billionaires and in the long run, they're going to be the ones that get hurt the least. But you see it with every company around, not even the country, but the globe right now. Everyone's trying to save money and I get it. But at the same time, you also started with the players, obviously, because they want to play and, You also sided with them because they're taking a pay cut while it's looking like they're probably going to leave their families for an extended period of time. No one's really sure. I know that you mentioned it in our document that that we're all that we've all been reading up on, Adam. The thread that Sean Doolittle had. I know he has a lot of questions regarding his safety and what if someone gets traded? Will they have to quarantine quarantine again? So. Like both of you guys said, it's awesome that something is in place and my gut feeling is that this is going to get passed by the Players Association, but it's going to be ugly and that's kind of inevitable. Um, But again, selfishly for all of us, I think we're all pretty happy that something exists. I think one of the biggest surprises from the proposal, obviously it's great that something came out. This is what we've been waiting for. But isn't it so strange that we don't see really anything mentioned about what their plan is if someone gets the virus, if there's a second wave, the health effects? This seems all about revenue. And I think it was you, Henry, who said this 50-50 split looks like a really interesting idea first, but... Players and owners are obviously not equal terms. Some of the players are millionaires, and that's fair, but the owners are billionaires for the most part. And a lot of the players actually live page after page, especially minor league players, who their situation is even more in flux. So it, it, the 50-50 split 
also when it boils down to it, it's not really even 50-50. And it's tough because what kind of – there has to be some type of compromise. No one's going to be happy, but there has to be some sort of agreement between the two where the players have to give up a little and the owners might have to give up even more. Well, my understanding of it with the 50-50 split was that in March the players already agreed to prorated salaries based on however many games end up being played this year. Uh, so that, that I guess, just you know based on however many games. And then this new 50-50 split would be based on how much revenue is generated to where you could play uh, a 80-game season and then say if it's not profitable, the players still, I guess, wouldn't be taking any of that salary if there wasn't any revenue generated. So I think it's, it's asking the players to back out of a pretty good agreement that they already came to in March. So I think that's kind of where some of the non-starter language is coming from. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I agree. It's tough for an entire association to, I mean, I'm sure that coming up with that first agreement was a difficulty in of itself. Now you're asking the players with not much time. Let's be real here. I mean, I I doubt that baseball really wants to get started sometime in August. It's looking like they want to have at least what would be half of a normal regular season being played. So now you're asking a lot of players to take another giant pay cut. No one really knows what kind of – it's tough for the guy, like you said, Adam, the minor leaguers and the the 26, 20, potentially 27th through 30th guys on the roster who are making the league minimum versus Garrett Cole, who's making $36 million a year. No one really knows how much these guys are going to make. And again, like I said before, I'm all for companies trying to save as much money. I'm a capitalist. Money rules the world. I think we all get that. Um but, again, it is tough to ask for these players to take yet another pay cut when it might not be equal to the amount of games that they're playing in the first place. It kind of looked like they had an idea that, okay, you'll basically get a percentage of your salary based on whatever percent of 162 that we play. Now it doesn't really look like that, and I think that's where things get really dicey. You both make – excellent points that the players' salaries being tied to revenue. That's that's never happened before. They have never been tied to the revenue share, and their contracts were guaranteed from start to finish. And the March agreement showed a lot of promise because it was prorated. It was based on the number of games played. So as of now, the players would receive 50.6% of their current salary they would have made over the course of a full year. But instead of based on revenue, so imagine there's no playoffs. Imagine if the someone gets coronavirus, sorry, COVID-19, I should probably be a bit more accurate there, and the season gets canceled, then all their salaries can go down the toilet. So in fact, they want prorated. That's probably one of the stronger points and the more legitimate points of the player side here. And salary cap is kind of the third rail of player negotiations in the MLB or sorry, contract uh CBA negotiations, the MLB is what I'm searching for, that the players' union does not want a salary cap. That's that's kind of been the hill they've been willing to die on for however long. Uh, so they don't want to see that. And, you know, why should they when league revenues have grown? They don't get a share of that. It's not automatically, you know, given to them in a pay raise. So 
the, the argument is being made that why should they have to share in the owner's losses? There are already teams out there, guys, that honestly would rather play no games this year than play without fans. If you really take a look at it, a lot of payrolls are similar to ticket revenue. In most cases, the payroll is probably about a 10 or 20% uptick from what teams make at the gate. So let's say that a team like the Marlins, who probably lose money, especially over the last two years anyway, where they're only drawing 10,000 people on average nightly, they have a payroll, which is very low-key. I thought that the Marlins payroll was somewhere between 40 and $50 million. It's actually been between 75 and $85 million over the last couple of seasons. So you are paying... 80 somewhat million dollars to your players, not making a dollar in ticket shares or at the gates or in, in concessions, all that stuff. And it's no wonder why a lot of these clubs have to cut payroll next year. We saw it with the Expos. I know that you guys talked about coronavirus versus 1994. Look at what the Expos had to go through after the strike. They already had an extremely low payroll. I think it was like $19 million. The following season, they lost Larry Walker to free agency, and they traded away their next top three earners. I can't remember who they were off the top of my head, but their four top earners, the first one left in free agency, went to Colorado, and then the top three, they had to trade them all, and then their payroll subtracted by 40%, and that was already with the league's lowest payroll. So, again, I, I know it sounds like I'm, I'm defending these owners here, but it, it's, not, it's not easy running a team... And I know that it's not easy for anyone right now, but these guys do have a job to do on the field, and that's to produce some W's, and that's not going to happen if you can't afford to pay anybody next year. And I'm not saying that those teams should just die away and and, not, and vote not to play. I'm sure that that's probably secretly what they want to do. They'll never admit that. But that's just the way that the dice rolls for some of these small market teams. Baseball fans might think that the owners are greedy. And, yes, to an extent, they are. But you're, if you're having a business model where you're losing money, that is a, that's a non-starter for the owners. To so just use Tony Cart's words on the owner's side for that regard. He called the whole situation. He's the head of the MLB Player Association. He called that a non-starter. So if the Marlins are losing money per game... That's not helpful to them. And there's several other teams as well. The Rays could be losing money. The Who else? The Indians, the Brewers. There's there's several teams that could be losing money throughout all this. And everyone's been losing money, but maybe some more than others, like Ryan mentioned. The Marlins could be losing money per game, which is just not a good idea. And exactly. It's just... It, as much as you want to blame the owners because they are the ones of all the money here, more so than the players, they they have some they have some weight here, of course. Well, that you know that makes it tough, guys, because that raises the question: if it's bad for the smaller market teams, do we only move forward with a season if it makes financial sense for a hundred percent of the league's teams? Well, I mean, what's What's the threshold? Does it have to be good for three-fourths of the league? Or, you know, I think it, it raises some difficult questions. And you know what? I think this is where the salary cap comes in because you look at teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Cubs and the Red Sox 
and they can afford this type of hit. I don't think that the Yankees are going to be scratching and clawing to try to find a way to pay these players. And you take a look at, I'm just going to use the Yankees as an example, or even the Dodgers. Mookie Betts is going to be a free agent. Yeah, he's probably going to make a little bit of less money on the free agent market after all of this, but teams like the Dodgers and teams like the Yankees, when they have Tanaka and Paxton on the free agent market next year, they're still going to be want to be able to pay those guys. You take a look at the Indians who have Francisco Lindor, who is either – is he a free agent next year two or years. this year? Uh, I can't – in two years? Okay. So you look at Francisco Lindor. He's already been on the trade market for however long. It's kind of been a thing that Lindor is not going to be a career-long Indian. Almost no one ever is. So that's where I feel like baseball – uh, I'm not sure if this is our plan to really talk about this today, but the new CBA agreement, I think it might be time for baseball to at least consider salary cap, guys, because this is where those big market teams are really going to be affected. And re- how often do we see owners and players really, – we don't see it like this in basketball. We see it like this in football because their ca- their contracts aren't guaranteed. The NHL has just been a whole different animal because they've had a couple of lockouts, and I know that's – that's a real. That's a whole other scenario that we none of us are really. We don't have a bachelor's degree on, but this is where a salary cap can be beneficial to a lot of those lower market teams because they wouldn't lose. Well, they would still lose money, but at least they would be able to compete and put a roster on the field for the next uh, few years coming up. We can all agree, just to leeway into the next point I'm trying to make. We can all agree that free agencies can be absolutely wrecked next year. But some teams might not be able to really sign these free agents. Although there's so many more fringe teams right now, but imagine how much the Yankees are going to capitalize on the free agent market for the next couple of years because they won't be as affected as teams such as the Marlins or the Rays or the Indians. And I think what we're seeing from this is that there has been giant buildup between players and owners about disagreements for a while. This 25 years of labor peace has not been easy for either side. And if it doesn't, if we don't see heat agreements now, which we surely will, and the season doesn't get canceled, there can be imminent th- dangers of a, of a strike in the next couple of years because the CBA agreement ends after the 2021 season. So in the next few years, we could see some lengthy discussions to off season and we could be seeing another striker lockout, which would be terrible. I think both of you guys make a great point and that this could be a preview of the CBA fight to come. And uh, Ryan, I think you made a great point that this could be a referendum on the salary cap. And if that is going to be in the future of the league. And I think something else uh, interesting to keep in uh, to keep an eye out for as these negotiations continue is to see what uh, what is treated as the bargaining chips in this negotiation. Do we see free agency or service time? Uh, do we see those issues brought up in, in the negotiations? And how are how are those conversations looking? And that could tell us a lot about future CBA negotiations as well. I believe. And that's why I think that the Players Association in this case might be taking a bit of a loss here because I feel like with just a year left in the current CBA, you don't want to go at it for any longer than you already have to, which is why I think that the players, 
if again the week, we'll talk about the comfortability factor and them being away from their families and their health and safety and all that. But for the most part, I feel like a lot of players are just going to say, you know what, screw it. Let's get this over with now. Let's play, and then we will worry about it next year. Because why are you going to add another eighteen months to to these? Well, I, I shouldn't be. I shouldn't say adding adding any time because it ends at the same time no matter what. But this is also a crazy circumstance that is totally unprecedented that we hopefully will never see again once this is all over. So I feel like in the CBA talks, no one should use this as any kind of argument that they have later on. Yes, service time is going to be an issue and salaries are an issue, but – Again, everything here is so unprecedented, and I feel like if anyone, if anyone either side was to use this in the CBA talks coming up, that's kind of unfair on both parties. It certainly won't be easy, but Ryan, you make a great point. There needs to be some type of temporary agreement. They can fight all they want after a CBA ends, but their main prerogative should be, let's get the season started. Let's do this in a healthy and safe manner. And they can they need to decide quickly about what they want to do with the deal, and it can't be long-term. That's much easier said than done because there is the threat of the salary cap. There is the threat of the owners losing money and not be able to sign – in lower market teams, smaller market teams, not be able to sign free agents. They're already having a tough time with that, and they'll even be put in a more tough position for years to come. So they need to do some type of temporary agreement – because this situation, like you said, Ryan, is totally unprecedented, and they just got to move on. Now, I think the whole short-term, long-term argument uh, could bring us to another interesting piece of uh, the news and some of the parts of this proposal that we see, like an expanded playoff, uh, universal DH, and reshaping divisions. Uh, do those seem like measures that are temporary for you guys or things that we could expect to see moving forward uh, for the future of this game? Hey, you know what? If you test it out now, that means that you probably have thought about it in the past. And uh, just like like they're already talking about, I mean, the Universal DH has been a thing for a long time. And the fact that they're willing to just come out and say, yeah, the DA should be universal for this year only, like, why would you randomly say that? It's obvious that you've been thinking about things like that in the past and uh, electronic strike zones. And th- th- this is kind of like the, the, the alpha. This is, th- this is the test. This is, can all this stuff really work? And I it kind of stinks that this is why it's all coming up and I don't like to, and I don't want to see a test in the major leagues, but again, the situation is what it is, Henry. So again, it it stinks that this is the situation that, that it comes in, but anything that you implement this year, it's not just a random idea that you, that you totally thought maybe divisions, Divisions is probably the one thing where you're kind of just like, all right, we really got to do something here. But the electronic strike zones and and um, and universal DH, all that stuff. There's so many things that they probably have been thinking about doing, and this is their their one window to do it at the big league level. I'm gonna say it, and I know a lot of people agree with me. I don't like Rob Manfred. I don't think he's a great 
commissioner. I don't know what you guys feel about it. I'm sure you'll respond to this after I finish my point. But at this point, and he's going to use this pandemic, as Ryan mentioned, to implement things I've been talking about. Robot M's, universal DH, pace of play. And at this point, it's going to happen, whether we like it or not. And the main thing everyone's talking about right now is getting baseball back in a health and safe, safe, healthy and safe way. So if there's universal DH, if there's 14 team playoffs like they're proposing, that's fine. At least we get baseball. I kind of, uh, I don't know. I feel like that it, you're naturally just going to dislike any sports commissioner. So I'll defend Rob Manfred a little bit and say maybe we more hate the position than hate him himself. I don't know. But uh, I think you make a great point, Adam, that we'll, we'll, we'll take any baseball we can get and that you know, if, if it's quirky changes, then so be it. Uh, I think a 14 play, team playoff might be pretty cool, and that the Cubs have a little bit better chances, especially playing some of those AL Central teams. So, uh, from a biased perspective, I do like it in that regard. Uh, but I thought the universal DH was kind of weird. Like, that didn't really seem like something that had to be included. Like, they're totally just trying to test it out, like Ryan said. But that's yeah, cool. Let, let, I guess let's let's try it out. Let's see how it works. The thing that I don't like about Rob Manfred, and I'm with Henry in the fact that we don't like any commissioners except Adam Silver. He's great, but it, it, it is a tough job. And I know that Rob Manfred has not done himself any favors in the Astros handling or the Red Sox or anything like that. But you're right, Henry. Why does the DH have to be universal this year? What does that do for uh, for anybody? If anything, I feel like that puts – I mean, I think it's a slight disadvantage – but there aren't a lot of National League teams that have a quality DH. American League teams make their team make their rosters based on the designated hitters. So why isn't it the other way around where pitchers in the American League are hitting and so or, or something like that? Why are we going to 14 playoff teams? Why why don't we just leave it at 10? So what I don't like about Rob Manfred is that he has a lack of explanation f- for a lot of things. The the intentional walks that did that really save that much time? I mean, sure, maybe a minute, but I wanna I wanna really see a breakdown of that science. Same thing goes with the three batter rule. Don't give us a PR answer that teams don't that fans don't like to see a, a pitching change in the middle of the inning and and change the channel. Give us the science. I mean, of course we don't have the science behind it because it hasn't happened yet, but why that? I want more explanation on why these things are happening, why the Astros didn't get punished, why the Red Sox didn't get punished, why Tony Clark has such a strong word on those kind of things, why the NL will have the DH and not the AL letting pitchers hit this year only. Why are these things happening? That That's where the disconnect is between Manfred and his fans. I think Rob Manfred has great intentions with the game. He just doesn't know how to do it. That's my personal opinion. Well, I shouldn't say he doesn't know how because I should probably have that job. But I just feel I, I feel like that's his perhaps it was a bit too rough on Manfred. But this is no. I mean, it's it's a it's a fair point though. I mean, he hasn't done himself any favors, and that's what he signs up for. He's not going to please everybody. He can't sign up for this job and say and, and have everyone like him. He's done a lot. He's done some bad things. He called the World Series <laughs> trophy a piece of metal. He let Tony Clark walk all over him with the Astros and the Red Sox. I think he's I'm been not saying that he's soft. not bad. He is, 
But I, I do believe there is some weight to you guys saying that the commissioner's job is very difficult. I wasn't a big fan of Selig either, so I, I get that. But you are completely right, both of you, in that there, there's no need for universal DH this time around. There, there is not. There's no need for even 14-team playoffs. You can. We talked about this several episodes ago. I believe it might have been the three of us, or maybe Q was there, but we mentioned how it could be just 10 teams and you just have longer p- playoffs. They could be all of them could be best of seven. That could be just fine as well. There's no need to structurally change the game in these regards right now. So it's just they're they're trying to add all these changes, of course, because of this special season, and they're trying it out. And for the most part, it, it's here to stay. They're not going to unless it gets some crazy backlash. It's here to stay. What I don't understand, though, is the fact that I, I, I just want to get this point off quickly. You go to let's say they go to fourteen teams this year. Are they going to go back to ten next year? Then that skews. Doesn't that skew every history book? That the, that potentially an eighty three and seventy nine Cubs team can make a postseason as a seventh seed wild card, but then the next season, if they win eighty eight games and they finish in sixth place in, in the National League, they were they would be the third National League wild card team. Then they don't make it. I feel like once you add postseason teams. You can't go back. And I, I think, guys, that this is going to be really telling about what happens. If they play 82 games and ratings skyrocket, which understandably is a real possibility because it would be the only sport on. But at the same time, what does it compete with in July and August anyway? I know that June you have the NBA Finals, but July and August, that's your time. And ratings still haven't been all that great in baseball. So if you have an 82-game season... And ratings in, at the midpoint season are that much higher. Baseball is going to have to really reconsider everything, and that's going to again we bring back to the CBA. That's going to bring up a lot of different conversation. With just at that at that point, it would be thirteen months to go in, in CBA conversation. To address the TV thing, or sorry, the postseason thing for a second, uh, I guess where that's coming from the fourteen postseason. 14 team postseason rather than 10 is so that they can re-get, uh, recapture some of the TV revenue they'd be missing out on from only playing 82 uh, regular season games. You're adding in more mm-hmm. postseason games, more national Makes TV. Sense. But like Adam said, too, you could move the wild card and the uh, NLALDS games to seven games and recapture that revenue in that way as well. So that kind of puts a hole in that argument. I think you know maybe you could get away with changing the playoffs back to 10 teams if it's just this uh, special circumstances of this year. But ultimately, I agree with Ryan and that most of the time when these changes are made, they tend to be permanent. I do think that whenever the uh, DH comes, that that's going to stay for sure. Uh, but I think there's maybe a little more wiggle room with, with playoffs if they were to do 14 teams this year. But with that, though, Henry, you and I and Adam, we all all know that the reasoning for it would be more revenue. What's baseball going to say to that? If someone asks Rob Manfred, hey, you're going to 14 teams this year, you're going back to 10 next year, why is that? He he could not say, well, we lost a little bit of money. That that would be a horrible answer. So how, how does he combat that? I know that's kind of a rhetorical question because there really there there's no answer for that, but you you can't possibly make it that obvious that it's about money. 
We all know it is, but you can't make it that obvious. He's definitely going to have to use his PR skills in that one for sure. For sure, the little PR skills that commissioners or and even Manfred have. But think about the Cubs. Think about your team, Henry. I'm not just directing this at you, but all these very fringe playoff teams. Let's see you go have these 14 teams or however much they want to send the playoffs. You can't go back because these teams felt like they earned going to the playoffs. Let's say the Cubs are the 14th team to make it and they win the World Series again. Well, they're not going to suddenly go back to 10 teams. That, that's not going to sit well with them. And also, why would baseball ever say no to more playoff games? Because everyone loves playoff games. Even if it's a lot, or even if it's a month longer, it's playoff games. You want to see your team compete and the biggest stage possible. So they're not going to just suddenly take that away. I do think at some point, though, you get to a point where you start to devalue the playoffs a little bit. And I think the NBA is kind of there, where the eight seeds can start to be under 500 and it's pretty much just an automatic sweep in the first round. So I think you can expand it a little bit. I think the MLB does have rooms or does have room to move a little more in that direction. But I don't know. I worry that 14 teams could be too much uh, if we're talking long term. Maybe you, you try out 12 first and, and see how that goes first. No, I, I mean, I, I kind of agree with the NBA. They're, they're at the point now. Where it's um it, it is what it is eight seeds make the playoffs but they they can't go back you know what I mean and that's why I mean first of all if the NBA were to ever expand postseason at this point that would just be totally ridiculous but I also think that the NBA kind of just drags it on why is a one versus eight seed a best of seven I didn't even know until the last dance that it used to be a best of five why why did they change that. But at the same time, you look at four and five seeds there, and they battle it out for seven-game series. And then sometimes those four seeds do compete with the one seeds, especially this year. I mean, th- this was the first year in a long time in the NBA where it wasn't Cavs Warriors or, or, or LeBron versus Warriors. Or, 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 I mean, what? We had three straight years of Cavs versus Warriors. We had eight straight years of LeBron in, in the NBA Finals. This was the one year where there were legitimately eight or nine teams that had – a chance at making the NBA Finals, and and even, that that doesn't even include the Raptors, who actually wound up being pretty damn good this year. So you're right that the playoffs kind of get devalued, quote unquote. But if you're a fan of an of the last place team of of a team who's set. 81 and 81 and you're in the postseason i mean we know enough baseball to know that anything can happen if you're if three pitchers don't have it on three consecutive days then your series is over and i understand that you can't just make series and add a postseason games be just in case that happens because it is kind of a waste of time at some point but again this is where we just need an explanation on why it's happening Outside of what we need to do. I think there's one more. point that we're all forgetting here that we've kind of forgotten about and why they want to spam playoffs have been wise in discussion. And it's one word tanking. We are seeing a decent amount of teams tanking, and we're seeing a decent amount of teams being fringe teams. So if there's more playoffs, maybe teams would go for it more. I know the Orioles and the Royals and the Marlins are long stretches away right now, but. If there's the fact that there are 14 teams, 
And for the record, I do not want 14 teams. I am perfectly happy with 10. I don't want 12 teams. I am just happy with 10 right now. But if they go that route, it could also be because they don't want teams to tank. They want teams to keep going for it every year, even if they probably won't win because they'll still go to the playoffs and they'll still be interesting. So that could be kind of a forgotten point throughout all this. I think you make a great point there, Adam. I, I can't believe we hadn't brought that up yet. But, that yeah, the more teams in the fringe having a shot to make the playoffs, maybe you have a little bit less of an incentive to be sellers at the deadline. And you're the Cubs, you're flirting around 500, and you don't move Chris Bryant if it's a 14-team playoff because you can still get in there. So I think that would be exciting to see for, for those middling-level teams to, to have more of a fighting shot. And I think that competitive balance is, is definitely an upside of expanding the playoffs for sure. That's a great point, Adam. But speaking of tanking, what about these French teams who have a low payroll? I guess Tampa's not the best scenario because they have a low payroll, but they're actually pretty, pretty good. So what about, what about like the Mets? And of course, we all know what the, we all know that the Mets are known for kind of being cheap with Fred and Jeff, and their whole situation with selling the team is a whole nightmare in of itself. They think that they can sell the team without selling us and why, which is not going to happen, especially at this time. So, what about a team like that who is good, can make it, but all signs point to once Syndergaard is off the books, once Conforto is off the books, once Mats is off the books, all after the twenty twenty one season, by the way. They're probably not going to re-sign those guys, A, because their owners are already not known for extending those kind of guys, and B, they're going to be losing money. So, I mean, again, and then, so do you, do you expand postseason to 14 or 16 teams or however many teams there are when there might be more teams tanking? Not at not any fault of their own, and not because they want to, but there are going to be some teams out there who are somewhat good that are being forced to tank. And we and we already see it with, with Cleveland and Oakland every four or five years. We saw it with Houston a while ago. It's going to happen. It might be inevitable, but maybe, maybe just, and again, just using this theoretical situation that I did create, if the... If we do see, maybe we'll see less tanking. Maybe we'll see the Royals not be out of contention for five plus years, but instead it'll be two years and a somewhat quick turnaround or so. And it's tough because, especially with all these teams getting, especially low market teams getting spurned over with all this revenue sharing going on and losing money while having games, it'd be really bad for low market teams too. So. You're absolutely right. There really could still be tanking. It might not fix that problem altogether. I just, you know, I, I want baseball back one way or another, guys. I, you know, I'd love to have a season where we could see some people tanking right now, whether you hate it or love it. I would just love to have standings, even if they're polarized. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I've seen so many people like, is this season going to count? I think I've said it on this podcast before. I'll say it again. If the Astros World Series can count, whoever wins this World Series is going to count. I mean, look at the Dodgers in 1981. That was a split season. You'll get over it. You'll get over it. And again, we all hope there's baseball. At the same time, I, I also want the players to be safe. And if the players don't approve of this, not necessarily because of their salary, but, because, but the main reason is because they want to be with their families. I'm all for that. 
but get back on the field, please, because it would be kind of nice. <laughs> it is pretty funny how throughout all – we've been talking about this for over 30 minutes now about how MLB Player Association owners are going at it, but doesn't it almost seem like the health and safety of the players and the essential workers tied to Major League Baseball? They're almost seen as secondary in this situation, which is really weird because that's one of the more important parts of this whole – problem. I was afraid you were going to make that point, Adam. I thought you were going there and you were absolutely correct that health and safety has been a bit of an afterthought of ours tonight on the show. And I think that's indicative that it's been uh, kind of an afterthought in the discussion around the return to play plan that we've heard thus far that unfortunately, uh, if you, I mean, I guess I think it's unfortunate that a lot of the conversation has been centered around the money and that we really do need to be paying more attention to the health and safety of the players, making sure that you know that it is going to be safe for them to be back out there on the field when we do return to play. I think that is something that we're going to have to pay a lot more attention to, and hopefully uh, the questions that guys like Sean Doolittle are asking get answered soon. I also think a part of that too, guys, is because I think it's honestly, as annoying as it is, And it's obviously the bigger story, and this is where most of the anger comes from. It's easier to figure out money than it is to figure out the health and safety of everyone. Because like I said earlier when we first started, what happens if someone gets traded? Are you even going to allow trades? When you are moving from stadium to stadium, what are those requirements going to be like? So honestly... The answer to that question, Adam, is because they don't really know. And I think that they're just going to kind of make things up as they go. And this is where we brought up the the, the DH and some things that they've been testing out. No trades is something that they have not tested out. But that's just a way of the lifestyle at this point. Some things are going to have to be unprecedented and done for the first time. And... That's why it hasn't been a thing yet. I think MLB kind of has an idea of what to do in these situations, but there's no right answer. There's no answer just yet. That's a fair point. Everything's changing each day. We learn new information each day. And just to add a couple more questions, too, I I know Doolittle's wife has asthma, so if Doolittle is interacting with players and, God forbid, someone gets COVID-19 and... He brings it back home to his wife, and his wife is infected. If one single person dies, God forbid, or gets sick from this in Major League Baseball, and we've already seen minor league players get this, get COVID-19, although very, very uh, not a lot of them. That's only been 0.7% across all Major League Baseball, which is good to hear. But if one of them gets it, that could be disastrous. And it's tough because you don't have any real idea of what to do for that. So, and you're right, we're probably going to have to make it up as they go on. It's just, it is, an, it is an important question. Doolittle is totally in the right of this. He's, I would even go as far to say he's a hero to keep mentioning that and to include that in the loop. But money might be a bit easier. You're probably right, you guys. And, and, and on top of that also, we haven't even talked about the media. Our, our media members are going to be allowed at the ballpark. Broadcasters, like you said, Adam, if someone does get it, is the season over? Again, I'm sure that these are conversations that have been talked about, but we're only talking about players and, and owners and general managers. 
media plays a big role in this and broadcasters and, and, and other stadium workers who, I mean, granted, they might not have anyone to attend to, but there are a lot of other factors in this. And it's sad that we're probably going to just get answers on the fly because there really is no educated guess at anything at this point. But that's just the way it is. And Ryan, you said it. There's a lot that still needs to be answered. There's a lot we still don't know. And there are a lot of questions that we still have. And not a very long time frame to get all that answered. About two and a half weeks is the estimate we saw uh, from passing there. Uh, so, guys, two and a half weeks. Do you think it gets done? Well, I, I don't know why. I just feel I, I would love to see a July 4th dead, uh, start time, rather. But two and a half weeks does not sound like enough time. It, it very well could be. Maybe maybe the player Association and the owners will come to agreement. Maybe negotiations won't be as heated. But to, for them to do that that soon with such – issues that are being built across years and years of time. I don't know if July 4th will exactly happen or if there is a virus or someone gets the virus during this time, I can't really see baseball ending in October. Uh, It might have to be sometime November, but I I still have hope that this season could happen this year. I've always said that I'm not one to speculate, especially when the government has a big issue. But again, how many rumors have we heard about the season starting and they're going to Japan and they're going to play in Florida and Arizona and Texas? But this is the plan that is being reported and being talked about amongst players. So while I'm not going to say that I think it's likely it's going to happen, I think that if it's going to happen, this is it. And I... I think that if they're pushing for a July start, that's when it, I think it's July or nothing. That's my personal opinion. So I'll just say 50-50 because I honestly think that we haven't even mentioned I mean this is the what the owners approved. So we can talk about rebuilding and lowering payroll all we want. 30 owners approved of this at the end of the day. So the owners are willing to take a financial risk. And I think I'm sure that some of them probably were very hesitant on it. Although, like I said, they'll never admit it. But 30 owners approved of this and it's on to the next step. Another important piece to consider here is that uh, even if all the players do agree to it, that the health side of things still has to permit uh, for games to resume. I do ultimately think that or I hope at least that cooler heads will prevail and that we will get a deal in place and that, you know, I think both sides have a whole lot to lose and hopefully they can keep sight of that and realize that while you may not get everything you want in a compromise, that it is a lot better than the alternative of no baseball this year, at least from a financial standpoint, you know, that is assuming that, that the health is good to go. Uh, So let's hope that we have that and hope that we have an agreement only time will tell, and as we mentioned, next two and a half weeks will be totally crucial. We will, sh- I'm sure, we'll have more shows on that during this time, during that time, and we'll we'll talk about what's going on. We'll keep you all up to date. But thank you all for tuning in. This is not goodbye. This is see you later. Until next time, this is the Ace of Viewer podcast.